If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today is Carol Herder. Carol's already been with us on episode number 258 and she's offering an alternative to horse mastership or traditional horse mastership. She's questioning ideas, she's expanding on those ideas and coming up with some great inventions. How are you today, Carol? I'm very good, thank you. Wonderful. Good, yep. good. Now, Carol, today we're going to talk about an overview. It's the 10 most essential horse matters. When I say an overview, you're going to go in depth, but we can come back again and talk about these even in a bit more depth. So if we talk about them today, the 10 most essential horse matters, and then they'll come up about once a month, each of these subjects after that. Are you happy with that? That sounds perfect. Yeah, because, I mean, really, I could spend days on, on these <laughs> topics. So, so we'll just do a brief overview of the 10 of them, and then we can go in a little more detail as, as the months come up. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And I think if listeners say, oh, well, that sounds interesting, I can go back in. I'd like to listen to that a bit more. They'll know exactly, you know, as it's coming up. Right, yep. we can do yep. that in order then, mm -hmm. so they know. All right, so the first one we'd like to talk about is feeds, supplements, grains and grass. So here's the thing. Our soils are depleted and we do need to, for the most part, we need to add to them. And so when you think about supplements and minerals and things to add to the soils to complete and round out what your horse is getting for nutrition, unfortunately, it's a matter of you get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. Now, what we see is so many supplements out there purporting to have vast numbers of nutrients in them, and perhaps they do, but the quality's not there. So they're not going to be absorbed into the horse's system. So when you read the ingredients, just because it looks like there's a lot in there, for example, minerals, they have to be chelated. They have to be chelated, which is a pre-ingested process that makes them easy to absorb into the horse's body. Otherwise, they're just eliminating them and you're just throwing money down the drain. So that's a, that's a little bit of bad news for you. Mm -hmm. But the good news is this. It's very interesting because I'm in North America, as you know. Sure. And the continent of Canada, let's say, the continent of Canada is the same geographical size as the continent of Australia, okay? We're yep. about the same size. Mm -hmm. Now, in Australia, you have 1.2 million brumbies. Okay. In the outback, in the outback, running wild, surviving and thriving. And you know how harsh that climate is sure. out there. You know mm -hmm. how harsh the terrain is. Yep. So they're scavengers, and they've got miles and miles of digestive tract. And they're meant to chew and masticate and eat these twigs and rough terrain for like 22 to 23 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And that's how they survive and thrive. So here in Canada, we may have, oh, what they say, like 10 or 12,000 wild horses. We call them Mustangs. Yes. 
And, you know, our terrain is pretty lush. We don't have the outback, blah, blah, blah. But they're not thriving here. They're not surviving and thriving here. In fact, lots of them are striving for malnutrition or, or lack of water. But what we tend to do is we tend to want to feed our horses lush greenery. So we feed them things like alfalfa. Now, alfalfa is meant to grow cows really big, really fast. Mm-hmm. We like the smell of alfalfa. We like that it's green and it smells good and it's lush. But it really, it's like feeding your horse chocolate cake. <laughs> but it, it's sort of like we know the horses like it because the horses would choose alfalfa over, you know, grassy hay or other roughage. So it makes us feel good to feed alfalfa. Do you know what I mean? We're thinking short-term for the horse's benefits, but not long-term. Absolutely. Mm. And we're not thinking about the implications of how their digestive system is set up. So it's actually great to have the analogy between Australia and this continent. And we've got to talk about alfalfa and lucerne too, because it's the same thing. That's right. That's exactly right. And digestion is a whole body issue. Like, uh, you know, you ingest and you eliminate. So you have to take the feet into account there too. For me, for us at Cavallo, the feet... The the feet are an integral part of every aspect of your horse's health Mm -hmm. because elimination goes on in the feet also, which can be restricted by the way you treat your horse's feet. Yep. Okay. All right. I think that's good, and I think you've, you've brought attention to a few things there. Can we move on? And we can talk about that in a bit more depth later. Can we move on now to shelters, stalls, and turnout? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, let's talk about that because that's another thing. You know, these brown beasts, they are going to be traveling 8 to, to 20 kilometers a day foraging for food, mm-hmm. running with the herd, yeah. um, you know, trying to find um, hydration. And when they hydrate um, themselves internally, they're standing in a river or a creek bed or a watering hole, and so they're also hydrating their feet. And when they hydrate their feet, they allow um elasticity and they build the the strength and the integrity of the hoof tissue. Now, in a domestic environment, we normally feed them water in buckets. So the the Mm -hmm. difference between, you know, the shelters and the turnouts and the wild horses, I mean, horses have been on this planet for 50 million years. It's not like they're a design flaw, but somehow, as you said, Mm -hmm. we feel better when we provide (laughs) them shelter and comfort. Yes. Yeah. So we have to be very careful with that. So a really good idea is to keep their hoofs hydrated in their domestic environment. And it's not like they're going to go stand in water intentionally. So we have to encourage them to do so by creating um, a mud puddle or a, or a, a watering hole or something that's near their food, somewhere where they do need to stand in for a period of time every day to create that elasticity in, in their feet. Um, another thing, well, this is what I do because it's super easy, is I take a Cavallo boots and I just tape up the drainage holes with duct tape and then I pour water in the boots and let them rumble around in there for a while. Ah. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, good idea. And and good because you don't have to then go and find a mud puddle or a creek or something. It's something you can do within your own situation that you've got. Yeah, exactly. And it shouldn't take too long, you know, if you've already got them duct taped up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good Mm -hmm. idea. And and then, you know, there's the ground cover. That's a consideration because, mm-hmm. you know, the arid, the rough, aggressive terrain of the outback is what these horses are surviving on. So they're trimming their own feet. They're um, creating blood circulation because the terrain is aggressive. Uh, they're, they're encouraging, you know, the expansion and contraction. So we need to be careful with our ground cover, too. I remember when I first got my property, I hired the neighborhood kids to come and remove all the rocks, um, a dollar, a, a wheelbarrow full, and subsequently <laughs> um, brought back truckloads of rocks, 
you know, because the hard, aggressive terrain is what stimulates the hoof. So be careful about mm-hmm. grassy pastures, deep bedded stalls, and, you know, allow them um, some, well, here's an interesting thing. It turns out that if you place, put your horse in a paddock, a grassy field, he'll just stand there <laughs> looking around. Yes. But if you provide a corridor for your horse to move down, he will. So, in fact, mm-hmm. you're, um, you have a veterinarian there called Brian Hampson mm-hmm. who developed a gating system that's really cool. Um, so, so to create a corridor for your horses to move along, like a pathway for them to move along, you just place a fence within your fence. So it should be like a minimum of six feet inside your fence line. And you can just get stakes and, and you know, draw a wire or a line. And, and then it creates this corridor. And Brian's got this gating system whereby they walk up to a certain area, a gate closes, and once they're there, it closes behind them. So then that's the area they have to stand in, and if they, if you put their feet in there, they're soaking their feet at the same time, and then you open the gate and they keep moving along. And particularly if you have more than one horse, it compels them. They push each other along. So even if you have, yeah. like, a relatively small paddock, if you put a, a fence within it, and put them inside there, it will encourage them to keep moving a lot more than if they were just standing in the open area. Movement is imperative to these horses. Blood circulation, shock absorption, hoof flexion, um, you know, healthy muscle mass. So putting them in a stall and storing them there is is not the right thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, even though it's very traditional, it's, it makes you feel good, a horse up to his knees in straw and just in a stable looking out, doesn't it? Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> what we do over here too is um, blanket them, yes. you know. So we, we give them these these foot-deep bedded stalls, mm. and so they're in really soft ground. Uh, we close them all up in case it's windy or rainy or whatever, <laughs> and then we put blankets on top, you know. Mm-hmm. And the largest ma- muscle mass in the horse's body is just under the first layer of skin. And when the horse gets too hot or too cold, it activates to lift the hair follicles, which mm-hmm. insulate the horses from the heat or the cold. If you've got a blanket on top of your horse 24-7, that muscle mass lies dormant. Yes, so you don't want to be coddling your boys too much mm-hmm. and girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, try to emulate what happens in a wild horse environment. And it's certainly not rocket science, but, you know, what is it, um, the term anthropomorphism? Yes. When we place human or animal attributes, no, human attributes so on animal. our animals. Yeah. 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 I mean, they have a hide. Right? Yeah. We don't yeah. have a hide. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we would be comfortable out in that <laughs> stall at night all bundled up in soft bedding, but yeah. they're yeah. not yeah. so yeah. much. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that sort of leads us into trainers, whisperers, and common sense, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does. It does indeed. And that's where you need to think about your own psychological fitness when you come into the space of your horse. Um, because what you bring into your horse's space, they're so intuitive and so receptive um, that you really have to start thinking like a horse, not like a human. Mm-hmm. And, of course, humans are predators and, and the horses are the prey. So we sort of have to recognize that when we go into their space. And, you know, that's the success that so many of the, of the good trainers understand, you know, Monty Roberts and Tom Dorrance and, and these guys, they, they understood that they had to change their predatory mindset and, and, and go into, you know, what, what's it like to be a prey animal? Yes. And, and always, like with even 50 million years of evolution, they can't get away from the fact that they always have to watch their back. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, e- even in a domestic environment, you know, they're always alert. You can watch them and their ears are turning and they're always listening and their eyes are placed on the <laughs> side of their heads so they can see almost 360 degrees around them so they can see if, if the woolly mammoth is coming for them, you know, or the saber-toothed tiger. And, I mean, that's their way of being. And we haven't bred that out of them. That's just the way they are because that's only the, the only defense mechanism that they have is to be aware and if they become aware of a predator then to flee yes and so often our trainers some of our trainers they may understand that part of the puzzle but then the other part of the puzzle they need to understand is the comfort level mm-hmm. and if horses are have any level of discomfort in their feet and remember they have to be able to run far and fast to flee from their predators if there's any discomfort in their feet they feel compromised and it affects their whole body system so when you're training a horse and you and there's some resistance the first thing to look at is their level of comfort because if a horse is comfortable and secure and understands that he can flee without hurting himself, then he's a very willing animal, and the training just flows easier. So you can't just take the bigger bits and the more you know aggressive training devices and expect to end up with successful re- results. And as you said, it's it's short term versus long term. You know, do you want to look at the long term? Then you have to deal with the cause and make sure your horse is comfortable before you start training him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. I think that itself, you know, people can play that back again and again, but, you know, as I said, you come in and, and you're taking conventional ideas but you're questioning mm-hmm. them. you know you're really questioning them putting your own common sense into them and saying you know just because this has worked for hundreds of years is this going to keep working or thousands of years is this going to keep working yeah right and we mm. know you, you know we know that our horses are sore mm. and we know that they're plagued with all kinds of issues you know that are um you know laminitis pedal osteitis navicular widely diagnosed now mm-hmm. and you know you go to the tax store there's um, you know your saddlery shop will be full of glucosamines and anti-inflammatories and MSMs and all that stuff because our horses are sore and and they have these symptomatic behaviors too like you know one day they won't be able to pick up the correct lead or their ears are pinned or their tail swishing or their swelling or lameness or a smell or heat and you can't quite figure out what the problem is and 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 even if you call in some help and and get radiographs or something they can be inconclusive and you know what it really is is it's a symptom of a deeper problem and the deeper problem being the treatment of their feet This is where it comes into metal or not, which is our fourth one. Yeah, so keep talking about the feet because it's quite interesting because this is how you really started on your journey was with this feet and the metal and the shoeing and the soreness and, you know, experience with your own horses, isn't it? That's exactly Mm. right. Mm. And, you know, I started experiencing problems with my own horses and when I 
asked questions, I was told that it's just part and parcel of horse ownership, you know. Horses get sore, they get lame, it's inconclusive, you know, you give them stall rest or you change the farrier or you give them more exercise or something like that, and then it abates. But sure enough, it comes back again, and if you don't address the, the cause, the symptoms get even stronger as time goes on. And that just wasn't acceptable to me. I remember, um, well, one of my favorite mentors said to me, don't let the wake drive the boat, you know, and it's like, don't let the past dictate the future. Like, don't let the past, okay, let's accept that our horses are sore, dictate the future. And mm. I've always been a very forward thinker, and, and many of us are now. In fact, we're experiencing the biggest change in the way we treat horses' feet that we will experience in our lifetime. And mm. and we're at the forefront of it right now. And I know this to be true because of um, because we're while well, we sell hoof boots, obviously people wouldn't buy hoof boots for riding yes. if um, if we weren't changing, <laughs> you know, the whole doctrine of the metal shoe experience. And we we sell more. We sell them into 27 countries around the world, and we sell more every single year. And also because of the book, you know, that I published, There Are No Horseshoes in Heaven, this book became a number one bestseller in four countries in two days. So people are interested in the subject matter. There are some forward thinkers out there that are just not willing to accept what we've been doing for so long. And and the new science is coming out, too. Like, there are so many vets doing studies, you know, like the University of Zurich did a study um, that at a trot um, with metal shoes on on bitumen, um, 800 hertz frequency travels up the horse's structure because metal doesn't absorb shock. In fact, it, it transmits it. Mm. I mean, you could take a metal shoe and bang it against a hard surface and you'll feel the vibration. Again, you know, up your structure too. So it transmits it. And that's where a lot of these problems come from because you're actually referring a vibratory shock of 800 hertz into the horse's cellular structure, which creates all sorts of problems. Yeah. Um, we shoe the hoof. We shoe the hoof in its smallest, most contracted um, position, you know, because we lift the hoof in the air, so it's not bearing weight, so it's it, it, the smallest. When it bears weight, it can expand up to 10 millimeters side to side. So we, we clamp it in the smallest uh, position with metal and nails, and then when it does bear weight, and particularly on a hard surface, there's nowhere for that hoof to expand. Mm-hmm. And so the shock is taken up in the structure of the of the horse. And there's a lot of new science coming out about that, um, about the clamping and, and how it leads to contraction. And, you know, I, we've seen several traditional farriers trying to deal with that contraction by extending the metal shoes past the heels. And, you know, in six or eight weeks' time, they come back and they say, look, the heels have grown into the metal shoes, so Mm -hmm. they must be expanding. But that would only be the case if the heels were the only thing that grew. Yes. (laughs) You know, the rest of the hoof grows, too. So Mm -hmm. the shape remains the same, contracted, but the whole hoof is growing and it's all bigger. So it just doesn't work. The only thing that can fix hoof contraction is to remove the shoes and allow the hoof to regain its natural shape, to have the blood circulation and the shock absorption, expansion that it's meant to have. Mm -hmm. And if you want to shoe your horse, I understand, you know, maybe maybe you show and you need to shoe or whatever, but you don't need to shoe 24-7. You know, at least provide your horse a period of time where he can regain the integrity of that structure. You know, and again, horses have been on the planet for 50 million years. The hoof is not a design flaw that needs to be corrected by clamping it and nailing metal shoes onto it. So, I mean, really, but but the fact is we ride them, and Mm. they are domestic. So when we ride them, we put on an additional, say, 200 pounds, Mm -hmm. um, which is the average weight of rider and tech, 
we put that on their back. And so it further compresses the hoof into the terrain. So do they need protection in riding? Yes. But it comes in the form of, you know, Cavallo hoof boots and not metal shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sort of brings us on to the next point, doesn't it? I'll just go back over that because the first one's been feed supplements, grains and grass. The second one has been shelters, stalls and turnout. Then we talked about trainers, whisperers and common sense and then number four, metal or not. So the fifth one is do the math. Yeah, which sort of leads from one to the other, so so well put together. So, yes, if you'd like to talk about that, it would be good. Yeah, do the math. If you, I'm actually, do you, can, do you know what it costs to shoe horses regularly? Oh, uh, we don't actually like get what's our horses. the average yeah. cost? It, it could be a couple hundred dollars or, or more. You know, we're talking about Australian dollars. It's probably, you know, equivalent to to 100 American. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so say you're um, you're shoeing like every six weeks, six maybe eight weeks even if you want to stretch it to eight weeks. So I wouldn't want to go really eight weeks, but um, yes, you know, let's say six. Yeah. Yeah. Five or six. Well, yeah. that would be ideal, wouldn't mm, it? And mm. particularly if you can get your farrier out there. Well, just with the amount of growth that comes, you know, within an eight-week period, it changes too much. You know, you go from a, a long hoof that's had shoes on for eight weeks and then all of a sudden it, the whole shape changes too much. It's, yeah. Anyway. Absolutely. You're, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Absolutely. the math anyway, not the actual you know, to shoe or not to shoe, to metal or not metal, but we, we can talk about maths. Yeah, so so the maths. Um, okay, so say um, you're going to shoe. So say it's $120, uh, say, eight times per year. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's an annual cost of $960. Yes. And then you're buying Cavallo boots for, say, 150 So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can do the math on that. Um, You know, you're going to pocket, I don't know, $800. You're going to pocket $800 a year. Now, um, you know, granted trimming costs uh, may apply if you're not trimming yourself. You know, you've got some trimming costs involved. But the boots are going to last about two years, too. So, And here's the thing. When we did a survey and we said, how often do you ride? The average amount of actual horses being ridden is only two to three hours a week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know? And yet, and yet, you know, they're standing out there in, in metal shoes 24 7. Mm, mm. So there's really no point in that, you know, allow that hoof to be natural and barefoot and then and then ride when you need to. Now, there, you know, lots of questions have been asked about what you can actually do um, with boots and do you need to put the shoes on for jumping or something like that. Well, we have people jumping like meter, good meter fences, mm-hmm. um, either barefoot or in boots. So yeah. there's a lot you can do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, back to the do the math. It's just, you know, you're pocketing some savings this way too. I so, mean, so it's the same as what we were talking about before. Instead of the short term, you've got to think for the long term, you know. So even though there might be a bit of short term, wow, that's expensive, you know, I, uh, can I afford it? It's, well, do the math. Look at your long term. Look at how much you're going to be saving in the long term and, yeah, do your maths. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do the math, think long term. So it's think long term as far as, you know, feeding your horses and caring for your horses, but as far as financial as well, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. All right, Carol, can we go on to number six now, which is bits, saddles and blankets? Okay, well, we did talk a little bit about the blankets earlier. Uh, I jumped ahead. Uh, we're talking about the muscle mass, you mm-hmm. know, that yes. activates to raise the hair follicles. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying don't blanket because, you know, if you've got flies or if it's extremely cold or if, you know, they're out in the, in the rain or sometimes you need a, even a sun uh, protection, uh, then you will blanket. But don't just bundle them up and keep it on 
around 24-7 because if that, if the largest muscle mass in the horse's body lies dormant, it can actually compromise his immune system and open him up to other conditions. So you just want to be careful um, not to buy into the, you know, you need a new blanket for this season and that season and this color and, you know, really, I mean, we're, uh, we're vulnerable in a way. In some ways, we're vulnerable to, to being marketed too because we have so much emotion and affection for our animals that if, you know, if the marketers can make us believe that this is a better thing for them, you know, we'll buy into it. And I, I certainly see that with, um, with feed and supplements, but I also see it with the, with the blankets and the accessories as well. So okay. it's just about awareness, you know. It's about questioning. It's about committing yourself to being a forward thinker and, and not letting the wake drive the boat. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's right. And I think if you question it with everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's so much. I mean, you know, not, not that... I want to put so much responsibility on the horse owner because it could feel cumbersome. But the reality is it's not. It's it's very simple. It's just saying, you know, what would a what would a wild horse what would the function of a wild horse be and how can I massage that for my domestic environment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it it doesn't come in the form of of, you know, all the new stuff that is on the market necessarily. And that brings me to, you know, the willingness, the willingness of your horse, because uh, we did touch on it about trainers and, and, uh, you know, how, you know, if, if your horse isn't behaving or you're trying to get him to do something, check out the comfort level first. Before you go to a bigger bit or a martingale or draw yes. reins or spurs or crops and whips and some of the other things, you know, that we use because our horses are very willing. They're just innately willing animals if they're free from discomfort. So make sure that you get um, a trainer who who understands that first you know yes. uh, i mean and and of course we've got all this natural horsemanship right now which is which is the reality of where we should be going you want your horse as a willing partner you know not someone that you have to put a bigger bit on mm-hmm. yeah and then the saddles I mean, saddles are a huge issue that really can inhibit um your horse's level of comfort because they're restrictive and they're heavy and they're hot and well more than anything they're restrictive particularly at the shoulder blade so the horse picks up his front leg and the back of the shoulder blade the scapula moves into the restriction of the saddle and and it hurts and so they drop their back away from the restriction of the saddle and it hollows their back out and then the head has to raise up okay so the head goes up the back hollows out the stride shortens and you get this downward spiral and then you try to correct it with a bigger bit to draw the head down where in actual fact what's happened is if you can just remove the restriction and the discomfort around the scapula, <laughs> the horse will naturally use himself yeah. more properly. Yeah. So yeah. the gullet of a saddle's there for a reason. You should enhance it with your saddle pad. You should always double check the saddle fit and the way you can. Well, there's a whole topic on that because um, <laughs> we can come back you know, and talk about. Yes, I'm sure yeah. we can talk about that. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Don't get me going on that one. Oh, that's a day. Yeah, yeah. This is why we need to get you back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you just um, just tell us briefly then about blankets before we move on to the next uh, the next one, and you can come back and and talk much much more in detail the next time we talk about bit saddles and blankets. Yeah, just um, when when we say blankets, um, it's referring to the. Um, to the covers, not not the pads. Um, you know the pads that go under the saddles. When I talk about blankets, I'm talking about the, you know, the fly sheets and the oh, rain like sheets the rugs. and the the rugs. I'm going to change that. Yeah, rugs. Of mm, course. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. 
Um, but we can talk about blankets um, in in the discussion about saddles too, yeah. because there's a whole issue with that one also. I mean, you know, it's just again, it's common sense, as you said. So, uh, what we think might be comfortable may not necessarily be comfortable for your horse. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one. Have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All right. Can we go on then to vets, farriers and trimmers? Okay. So this new information is just coming out for the vets. Um, there's some cutting edge, edge vets that are, that are grasping the new in, information and starting to circulate it. For the most part, in the veterinarian schools, the um, the shoeing and the farriery is not part of the program and the curriculum. So if you're going to your vet for shoeing advice or farriery advice, you're going to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And secondly, a lot of farriers are pretty traditional in what they've been doing. We, but we've had loads of farriers coming over to to understand that trimming is an art. And if you're going to trim a hoof to emulate what happens in a wild horse environment, it requires a lot of skill. And so the trimmer actually needs to be compensated for that, just as he would be nailing a metal shoe into your horse's feet. What's happened over the last 15 years is, well, first of all, the whole fairy um, culture and and job, you know, the curriculum has has been male dominated. I don't I don't know. Is that the same over in Australia? It is. Mm. Uh, when I say it is, it is traditionally, but um, there's a lot more females coming on board now. That especially, you know, when there's more of an acceptance to barefoot, um, there's a lot more females coming aboard. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because what would happen is, say, you know, 20 years ago, uh, a woman, I mean, for the most part, 70% of our horse owners are women mm-hmm. and uh, ages, you know, 35 plus. Um, and, and you know, we'd ask our farrier, we'd say, hey, what about pulling these metal shoes off for a period of time so our horses can be naturally barefoot? And, and the farrier, I mean, you know, he, he knows how to nail metal shoes onto horses' feet. So, so he, we would be met with some resistance mm. to doing that traditionally. And so lots of women had to learn how to trim on their own. And what happened was there was this whole groundswell of females taking an interest in horses' feet because they understood that, you know, clamping the metal shoes on for the entire year, 24-7, may not have been the right answer. So they wanted to figure out this new thing. So, and, you know, they made a lot of mistakes along the way, but they learned how to trim. And then they would successfully trim their own horses, and then their neighbor would say, come and trim mine and come and trim mine. And it grew as a vocation. And so now it's actually been a, a bit of a gender change as well. Mm-hmm. And so women are more in charge of how we're treating horses' hoofs. So again, it's the biggest change in the treatment of horses' hoofs that we will see in our lifetime. And it's it's not only a gender change, but it's a whole practice. And it's fueled by um, the understanding of the new science that's coming out about hoof mechanism, shock absorption, blood circulation. Yeah, yeah, and I think we're finding that right through the horse industry is the understanding of the new science. You know, people understand a lot better now. You know, we've got more access to research and, you know, the horses are the benefactor because we're understanding mm-hmm. them a lot more. You know, it's not just the, the farriers and the trimming. It's just the whole, so every single little part is understood better. And don't you think... It goes part and parcel with how we're looking at what we eat and, you know, I mean, do you remember we used to smoke on airplanes, you know, there used to be, you know, no seat belts and I mean, I think, all the things that have changed. I think there used to, be, um, used to be advertising saying smoke, you know, it relaxes you or something, you know, to promote smoking. 
Yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So now it's like, wow, you, you really have to think for yourself as a, as a, as a pioneer, don't you, yeah. in, a, in yeah. a brave new world where everything's changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, can we move on to number eight now, which is common symptomatic concerns? Right. Well, these are the things that you're not really sure why your horse is deep displaying these these symptoms mm-hmm. and so you know you, you know that peaked eyelid sometimes i see my horses like that and i just know there's something not quite yes. right and it could even be an imbalance um in the hoof or i mean who knows what it is really but when i see that peaked eyelid i always want to check i mean it could be a bug bite it could be anything but um or it could be like you know maybe a coyote's just gone by um you know be behind them or mm. you know something like that but that that sort of worried expression mm-hmm. so there's that there's that worried expression there's the tail swishing there's the stomping and the cribbing and the weaving and and all the things that horses can do to tell you and what they're trying to do is they're, they're really telling you that something's not quite right yeah. i mean you know and and that's where you need to look at okay if the symptomatic behavior continues you have to look for its cause because if you don't find the cause i'm here to tell you it's just going to grow mm-hmm. um the symptomatic behavior is just a result of something further Um, Even the tripping going downhill, oh, you know, he used to go downhill, really no problem. Now he's tripping. Well, he's just clumsy, you know. You could say, oh, he's just gotten lazy. Or, you know, the ears are pinned because they don't want to go out today. No, horses are always willing if, if they're understood and they're free of pain. So it's just a matter of looking at those symptoms and coming to the base of them, what could they be? You know, and sometimes it's, you know, it's not about their ability. It's about their willingness to to do it because they can, because they're not encumbered by some problem. Yeah. That, and it's up to us to be, you know, the sleuth and find out what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, it's very odd that a horse will actually be nasty just out of plain nastiness. There's usually something brought it on, isn't there? Yeah. 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 Our yeah. responsibility, yet again, to, mm. to look for that cause. Yeah. 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 And I think as we know more horses and get to know our own horses better, we can pick this up a lot easier. But we can also learn from being around, you know, having a mentor, horseman, working around horsemen, who will explain things to you. You know, you ask the right people the right questions and you can learn quite a lot. You're absolutely right. And that's where your mind-body fitness level comes in. And that that brings us into number nine, doesn't it? The mind-body fitness for the horse owner. Yes, because it's not just all about the horse. You know, we've got to take some responsibility with our own fitness to be ready to ride the horse to do things with the horse, to um, work with the horse. So if you'd like to talk a bit yeah. more about that, that'll be brilliant. Well, there's physical and emotional um, mm-hmm. emotional fitness. Like, you know, your horse is going to know if you've had a really rotten day and, <laughs> and you step into the into his mm-hmm. space, you know, with that rotten attitude and that rotten disposition. I mean, your horse immediately knows and picks that up. So if you're going to step into your horse's space, you know, it's an opportunity to change your attitude because if you're conscientious about stepping into your horse's space bubble, then change your attitude just for the time that you're with your horse because your horse will reflect what you're putting out. So that level of consciousness, if you can do that with your horse, it's perfect training for the rest of of your life because it puts the responsibility back on you to be conscious and aware of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And when we're conscious and aware of our thoughts, feelings, and emotions, that's when we can control them and not just default into negativity or or our own nastiness. So mm-hmm. horses are such a learning opportunity for us. And, and if we look at it that way, every time we go into our horse's space, if we, if we, if we just can imagine how they must receive us 
and modify our behavior and our, our sense of ourselves so that they can receive us in a positive light, it can have a profound effect on the other aspects of our lives. So it's such a positive opportunity. Yes. And, and then, of course, there's the body fitness, too. I mean, I just... I, well, I have a perfect uh, graphic of a, a girl who used to ride in my barn, and, and she had had some surgery. She had a, a bad car accident, and and she really carried her body off to one side. And and we tried to work with that, you know, but it was hard for her because physically she was she was compromised. Mm. Mm. Well, sure enough, over a period of time, the horse she rode started carrying him. So his tail moved over to one side because he started putting all his weight on the one side that needed to prop her up where she wasn't putting um, the weight. So he needed needed to balance the symmetry of her. And so he started carrying himself off to one side too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be honest, we just had to accept that because that was the way her body was. And, and, you know, Unfortunately, he he had to pay a bit of a price for that too. But they were such a good match, and they really enjoyed each other's company. And you know, I mean, and horses do. You know, some of them travel more one-sided than others. Eighty percent of horses have one shoulder bigger than the other because that's their way of going. Uh, you know, it's like we're right-handed or left-handed, and you know, we favor one side more than the other. But symmetry, symmetry is really important when you have a long muscular structure on either side of a long spine mm-hmm. yes. that 200 pounds gets plonked on. You know? yes, yes, so, so having symmetry in your own body is something that you should really work at. You know, try brushing your teeth. If you're right-handed, try brushing your teeth with your left hand. You know, try that. Try doing things with your opposite side so that there's some level of, of ambidexterity, you know. So, I mean, you know, it's not only the horse's back, it's his mouth, too. If, you know, one hand is significantly stronger than the other, you're you're going to set off the cervical structure of your horse at the pole. Yes. And, um, and so the awareness of your uh, physical fitness is just as important. Well, I would say that most people say that's more important, um, but I think your mind is just as important because this, for this example of this girl I was talking about, she was so in tune with, with her horse. I mean, you know, he could, she could have been a dead weight on one whole side and he'd be happy to see her, mm. you know, and that's mm. where we work with therapeutic horses too and, and, and uh, disabled people. I mean, they don't mind, you know, again, they're so willing if they're, if they're even partially understood. Yeah. 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 So we want to be good company, you know. We want to be yes. good company for that our horses. To and ten. They, good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We want to be good company for them, and and they'll in turn um, be good company uh, for us. And and that sort of um, that sort of summarizes uh, the horse-human relationship. And then I just like expand a little bit on it because. So much of what I'm saying is um, that there's a lot of problems caused from nailing metal shoes onto horses' feet, and so I'm asking you to look at horse boots as an alternative, and I'm asking you to look at, if you look at horse boots as an alternative, to look at our company, Cavallo, as one of the choices you might make. And it's not just because I want to be in the business of, of selling more boots, but we really want to help horses. And that's why, um, that's why I, I give as much information as I possibly can and, and that we give back to as many associations as we can. We donate a huge percentage of our profit depending on, um, depending on what the organization is, but for rescue horses, for therapy horses, for um, the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship, which who uh, rehabilitate, like, war veterans and, and abused children and, and all kinds of debilitating conditions, which when you work with horses to rehabilitate a lot of this stuff, it's almost like magic what can happen through um through horse rehab and so we're 100 um behind that 
mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're giving back as a company as much as we can. Yes. So yes. I just wanted to finish with that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 not just a commercial arrangement. It's it's. Um, we can only give if we have something to give, and and the more boots we sell, the more we give. Absolutely. So, Carol, if people would like to contact you, what's the best way? Yes. Um, well, our website is cavallo or dash inc inc dot com, or um, you can email info at cavallo dash inc dot com. We have a live chat. Um, so any of your questions, well, I don't know, we're a little bit on a different time zone for the live chat, but, uh, but please contact us and, um, you know, we've got an office, we, we field calls all day long and there's all kinds of questions and no question is, um, is meaningless. Like, you know, we all start somewhere. And so we're here, we're here to help you make any sort of transition or address any kind of concern you might have, um, on the website, there's there's some videos under the tab knowledge um, that show you how to measure, um, show you some different things that you can do with your horse and, and the hoof boots, and um, just uh, some different resources you can look at there as well. Okay. That's brilliant, Carol. All right. Well, we look forward to um, seeing you again next month and just talking in a bit more depth about some of these 10 most essential horse matters. We'll start off with feed, supplements and grains. I'm just going to run through these 10 again, you know, and they sort of flowed so well in from one to the other. But if I run through, talk about the 10 points quickly, um, even if you summarise them, and then um, people will know then which is the most area of interest or just listen to them all and um, come back and listen again and again to the areas that interest you more. Okay, so the 10 most essential horse matters are... Number one is feed, supplement, grains and grass. Do you want to just do a quick summary of that, Carol? Uh, Well, I've got number one is feed, supplement, grains and grass. Number two is bits, saddles and blankets. Number three is shelter, stalls and turnouts. Number four, trainers, whisperers and common sense. Uh, number five is metal or boots. Number six is do the math. Number seven is vets, farriers, and trimmers. Number eight is common symptomatic concerns. Number nine is your mind, body fitness. And number 10 is keeping good company. Okay. That's fantastic, Carol. And now uh, we're looking forward to talking to you again next month. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Okay. Bye-bye. Enjoy. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 